be here this morning. Am I on, Daniel? Not good to go there. I wasn't sure if I had flipped that mute button once or twice or three times or not. So, all right. So we're going to open our Bibles back up to the book of Acts this morning, back to the book of Acts. We're getting into part two uh, of the, the message where we are looking at here, uh, titled uh, The Regions Beyond. And we see that where the scripture now has carried forward. Thus far, we're looking in verses 1 through 13. We're only going to read verses 8 through 10, because that's what we're going to cover this morning uh, in our message. But if I can stress anything, guys, anything at all concerning uh, these, uh, there's going to be four parts to this series. This is part two. Obviously, next Sunday, ready to, roll, ready to go, is part three. And then the following Sunday will be part four, and we should conclude it. But if I can stress anything to you today, that what we find in Acts 13, uh, anyone who is going to work for the Lord, not just in full-time ministry as myself or a pastor or a missionary or a church planner, um, but a a Bible-believing Christian who is going to do a work for God, uh, you're going to find in this 13th chapter that you what Paul deals with here and what even Barnabas deals with, who and what they face, and the things that happen, the wonderful victories and the challenges you are going to see in your life at some time. You may not see it at one whack like Paul and Barnabas did. I mean, it seemed like, my goodness, everything hit them at one time here. Things were happening all over the place, and leaderships were changing, and, and people were being cast blind, and all this stuff that was happening uh, here in Acts chapter 13. But it's, a, it's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting chapter because it does entail... Uh, really and truly the entire work of God. And uh, so, beloved, I want to challenge you uh, to come very familiar with Acts chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Again, we'll look at, the Bible says, but Elymas, now this is referring to Bar-Jesus, for the Bible says, Elymas the sorcerer, for so his name, so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith, referring to Sir Gaius Paulus, of whom we covered last week. Verse uh, 9 says, Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And, well, we'll get in verse 11 a little later on. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the blessing of this day, this time, and opportunity to be here today. I ask you to please bless the preaching and teaching of your word. Open up the hearts uh, of those who are present this morning, those who are watching online, uh, those who may hear at a later date. My hope, my prayer, my desire is that hearts and minds, dear God, be not distracted from anything whatsoever, good, bad, or indifferent, but that they would focus on the preaching and teaching of the word of God and that you would gloriously and wonderfully make a difference in their life. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen. And amen. So we've already seen, guys, last week, we, we had, we've already seen, we saw the, uh, the um, Sir Gaius Paulus, which is the deputy of the country. And so we get into part two of the regions beyond this morning. We, we notice that, uh, uh, that the Sir Gaius Paulus was a smart man. Luke refers to him as being prudent, if you will. And, and uh, we see that he, there was a superstition involved in his leadership and his lifestyle. And then finally, by the grace of God, we find that salvation occurred uh, in this deputy's life. And what a tremendous, wonderful blessing that was. Even a greater blessing that I see in this is that he desired to hear the word of God. 
You know, that's the thing that I find today probably the most repulsing thing in our, in our world today is that people have no desire. And I'm talking about people who name the name of Christ. They don't have a desire to hear the Word of God. They want it on their own terms when it's convenient for them. But we, they don't have a desire to hear and to dig and, and to feed and bask upon uh, the living Word of God. And my friend, that is a problem. That is a, a great, great problem in our society. Sir Gaius had heard something that touched his heart. He heard the Word of God. The Holy Spirit convicted his heart. He desired to hear them up. And then we're going to go over the sorcerer today here in just a moment who tried to, to stand in the way of him receiving Jesus Christ. And of course, we know the end of the story was when he, he believed on what he he had heard after what he saw Paul do. So I want to get into this sorcerer here this morning. I want to get into this second part, this Bar-Jesus or Elemus by way of inter- interpretation that we find here in verses 8 through 10. Uh, this guy here is a sorcerer, guys. He, his beliefs and his power uh, were brought into the same room as Paul and Barnabas, guys. I mean, what you're finding is that two beliefs are finally going head to head, one with another. One must be destroyed and the other must... Uh, other must be the one to destroy it. That's all the matter of fact, you know, we've all heard about the shot heard around the world. Well, my friend, when you show up into uh, Acts in chapter 13, and uh, when Paul and Barnabas come up there in that room uh, with that ruler, and Bar-Jesus shows up, and he stands in the way trying to uh, eliminate uh, Bar-Jesus from being converted, this was the shot heard around the spirit world. The first time we find in history, Christianity went head on with the Gentiles in battle. Now, mind you guys, this mission trip did not happen until 14 years after Paul was saved. Now, we're looking, uh, we're looking at Paul's conversion anywhere from, who knows, anywhere from a week uh, to a year after uh, Stephen was killed. So you're looking at about two to three years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, after that had happened, now we're roughly 18, 19 years into the development of Christianity, and he had yet to go head-to-head with the Gentile world. Yet to go head-to-head. Yet to go into one-on-one battle in the spirit world with the Gentiles. Before this, it was all the religious side. It was Judaism that was fighting and trying to force and cause the separation of all the disciples to be scattered abroad. And, and we find that the, the gospel settles itself there in, in Antioch, Syria. And these Gentiles fell in absolute love with the Holy Spirit of God. They got saved and born again. And it was there where they were first called Christians. Amen. But now as this thing begins to move into the regions beyond, and it, it goes into to Cyprus, and they preach in the synagogues in Salamis first, and then they traverse that country, and they come over to this governmental city called Paphos, where this governor, this deputy of the country now, wants to hear the Word of God. It's a whole different ball game now. Because there's a sorcerer there, a wicked, wicked sorcerer, who's trying to stand in the way. And guys, this battle has gone on ever since. I'm going to tell you this. Turn me down just a wee bit, bud. I'm going to tell you this this morning. If you are sat here today or listening online somewhere along the way, and you believe that there is not a spiritual battle within Christianity and the religions in this world, when I say religions, I mean either pseudo-Christianity or outright pagan False. You say, what's pagan? Beloved, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to define pagan into what I think is a clear definition. Anything that does not believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, singularly. 
Anybody, anything that is not uh, lined up with John chapter 14 and verse 6, that's going to be pagan, amen. If you believe you're adding, if you're adding anything whatsoever to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're a pagan, amen, or you're practicing pagan activities. If you're adding baptism to your uh, belief of salvation, you're a pagan. That's a pagan belief. If you're adding the Lord's table, if you're adding uh, praying unto Mary, I mean, obviously that's, you know, a pagan. If you add anything whatsoever or take anything away, that is pagan, my friend. We think that it's, oh, it's just the people who are worshiping 2.4 million gods and devoting their entire life and ended up in destined to a devil's hell. We want to look at that as pagan, and I understand that's easy, but you may have the name of Jesus in your title, but if you don't line up with the Holy Word of God precisely, that's pagan, my friend. So we have this sorcerer here who has kept this entire city, and by proxy, probably the entire nation, in darkness. But I want you to understand who this guy is. Number one, make no mistake, guys, he was a person. This is an individual. This is someone's son, Possibly someone's uh, husband. We have no record of that. We don't know. Mark Jesus was considered a healer, okay? That's what he was considered. He had, he had professed uh, to have performed uh, uh, mighty uh, powers of healing people. And because of that, since he had this profession, and, and for all I know, guys, uh, the spiritual wickedness in his life, I mean, Paul called him a child of the devil, I mean, we know according to Genesis 3, verse 15, that there is a seed of Satan, and that seed of Satan, Satan was going to be an enmity with the seed of the woman for all, for all of the history of mankind. Well, Jesus Christ rebuked the Pharisees, says, you're, you're of your father, the devil, amen. So we understand there's a seed of Satan in this world. And whatever happened, I don't know if he had tricked people, if he had mimicked people, if he had fooled people into healing, or if he had some type of dark, uh, mystic powers. I don't know those things. I know the Bible calls him a sorcerer. You know where that word sorcerer comes from? Did anybody tell me that Greek word sorcery? Pharmakeia. Pharmakeia. Same word we get pharmacy today, or pharmaceuticals. Mind-altering substances. The art of the apothecary, if you will, in these days, and mixturing in different types of substances, maybe making you hallucinate. Who knows? I do know sorcery is directly associated with drugs. And the drugs and the things of this day to cause people to see things that aren't really there. Do you understand? Whatever it may have been, this sorcerer is a person who have kept an entire civilization or entire culture of people in blindness and darkness. And therefore, the government... And the people were going to listen to him. They were going to keep him happy in order to be healed when the time comes around in their life. It's nothing but power, if you will. Now, despite how nice this may sound, it's no accident that there is also a connection to this type of belief. I want you to, I'm going to read you, don't turn there for time's sake. But there is a connection that we see in the Old Testament between this, this type. Exodus chapter 7 and verses 10 through 13, I was studying on this this morning on the, on the backside of actually a study in 2 Peter chapter 2. I got six pages of notes for one verse uh, thus far. I'm looking forward to when in a few weeks now, being able to take that on a Wednesday night. Um, it won't be one Wednesday night, but nonetheless... But Exodus chapter 7, verse 9, the Bible says, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and cast it before Pharaoh, 
and it shall become a serpent. Now verse 10 says, And Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down the rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt, that they also, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. You see, beloved, the purpose of Pharaoh bringing about his magicians and his sorcerers of the land to do the same thing that the people of God just did was to harden the hearts of the people, lest they believe on those who are representing the God of heaven and earth and rather just the God of this world. They hardened the hearts of the people when they say, well, hey, they both can do this. Bar-Jesus was doing the same. Bar-Jesus was a person who was stood in between heaven and mankind trying to impede this deputy from hearing the gospel, but he had always kept people in darkness with his, well, with his power, with his power. He was a person, guys, and there was a power that was behind him. Paul, again, called him, Paul said that he was a child of the devil. He said he was full of all subtility. You know what that's defined as? That word is defined as planned by art, nice, cunning, crafty. He's certainly a child of the devil. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, Now the serpent is more subtle than any beast of the field. That subtility is that same word that we use subtle today in a, a much more uh, modern sense, if you will. But it's in uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3. Paul said that he was, I mean, sorry, that was Genesis 3.1. But Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11.3, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtility, so your mind should be corrupted, from the simplicity that is in Christ. And that links right there to Genesis chapter 3, 1 that we just read. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. There was a power there. He's a child of the devil. Bar-Jesus purposely planned to keep Sir Gaius in darkness. And he had the power to do so. He had the, the power of betrayal. He had the power to beguile, just like the serpent did uh, in Genesis chapter 3. Just like uh, the Eve was, was uh, deceived by the, the mouth and the speaking and the words and the beauty of this tree. Just how she was deceived, this Bar-Jesus was doing the very same thing to Sir Gaius and keeping him and holding him in darkness. It was no accident, guys. He did not stumble upon his role. He was planned by the art of deception to be placed where he was. It was designed to keep the gospel away from him and from the people. We see this in the same way today, guys, and this I'll just bang on, bang on this drum just a little bit. We see this in the ecumenical and the so-called progressive movement within churches today. They call themselves Christians, but they remove the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They call themselves Christians, and they use the name of Jesus. They say they use a Bible, but what do they do? They practice the art of deception, saying, it's okay. You, you can live like you want to live. You can walk like you don't walk. You can talk like you want, because our God, they won't say Jesus, but our God is a God of grace and love, and he would never send you to hell. As a matter of fact, you know, I believe there was one of these progressive Christians that wrote a book years back uh, called Love Wins. One of the most diabolical, divisive, devilish little books written in our modern era. Calling itself Christianity, but love wins. The only love that has won 
is the love that God had for mankind when he sent his only begotten son to die on the tree for us. John 3, 16. That's the love of God. God's love will not outshine God's justness. God's jealousy will, will, will always be equal to the love that he has to mankind. But Bar-Jesus takes this role on, if you will. Just like we see in our modern ecumenical days, and, you know, I can have it my way. People have no conviction today in, in reading what, a book that they call a Bible. Guys, it's not a Bible. You're fooling yourself if you're reading a perverted manuscript. That's all. And if you're giving way to it, all you're doing is adding fuel to the flames. Well, I'm trying to win them from within. You know what you're doing? You're doing no more than the Puritans did, who became absolutely positively useless to the Church of England in the 17th century. They said, no, we're not going to leave. We're not going to stand upon Christian liberty. We're not going to stand upon being able to worship Jesus Christ in the way the Bible dictates. We're not going to stand on that. We're going to stay within this uh, perverted religion. We're going to stay in and we're going to purify it from within. And what was the results? It went worse. It became worse, worse. And, and all it did was teach other people to stay in a perverted religion that called itself Christianity. You see, my friend, the first thing that will happen is they'll remove any type of affiliation with proper biblical doctrine. And they're going to stay where they are. And it's all because of the power that's given to a person, power given by Satan. What does he do, guys? Well, the first thing we find that he does, he perverts. I mean, he's a pervert, if you will. You know, the word pervert means malign, to malign something. And you take that word malign, and you can use it. You can also separate. It's a compound word, which means malalign, okay? All right, if I was to take a piece of metal, let's say a piece of uh, uh, aluminum bar stock that, uh, that, uh, that someone, say, with polio, post-polio, would wear on what's called a KFO, all right? It's a knee, ankle, foot orthosis. And it is shaped to the, to the, to the delineation of their limb perfectly or almost perfectly so that they can forward and help them walk. If I was to take that whole piece of metal, that orthosis, that brace, as you would call it, and take part of it and go, rink, and bend it like that, and say, put this back on, would it fit them? No, it would not fit them. Why? Because it's been malaligned or maligned, if you will. That's what perverting the right ways of God means. It means to change of what it is, change its intended purpose and direction. Paul said that he, that he would not uh, uh, cease to pervert the right ways of God. And guys, the pervert will always purposely seek to stop or to hinder the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then find his punishment, if you will. Opposition and affliction usually furthers the gospel. Paul, Paul's uh, a prison sentence furthered the gospel, and we've seen that all in his letters today. I mean, John sent it to the Isle of Patmos, gives us a, a picture of glory, yet Bar-Jesus Bar becomes the tool to the, to the furthering of the gospel, but now it's him, this wicked child of the devil, who suffers the punishment. He's the enemy of God, and Paul calls him that he's the enemy of all righteousness. The verse is loaded, guys, with divine words of what God thinks of his enemies. God does not have one nice thing to say about this guy. Not one. Bar-Jesus did not <clears throat> want Sir Gaius to get saved. The enemy of God is designed to destroy you. It's designed to destroy your family. And therefore, Paul calls him exactly what he is, a child of the devil. So what is the challenge this morning? What is the challenge that we have in the world we live in today? The challenge is there's a conflict we see in Acts 13. A conflict that you are going to face if you're willing to take your step forward and get into the fight today. 
you got a man, Sir Gaius. He's in danger. He, I want you to picture this with me. Use your imagination and allow it to run quite vivid today. you got Sir Gaius Paulus, a man in danger, held captive in the castle of darkness. You have a cruel keeper named Bar-Jesus, the child of the devil, perverting the right ways of God and keeping this man in chains. But then you have a conqueror. You have a conqueror come forward. Paul is trying to scale the walls of the castle to get in for one singular purpose, not to make a name for himself, not to assume the role of leadership as God would ordain. He wasn't doing that. He did it for one reason, and that's to set this man free. Beloved, the lost are held captive in darkness by a cruel keeper today. Our challenge is to scale the walls of their place of confinement and set them free of the weapons of our warfare. The whole world is in danger, my friend. And we are to fight the challenge with the only weapon we possess. I wonder how many of us today would pick up the call to arms, step up and accept the challenge, and stand up in the midst of this conflict. Or how many of us today will say, well, I just want to make everyone happy. I just want to have a friend. I just want to be invited to go places. I don't want to ruffle my brother's uh, tail feathers. I don't want to upset my sister. I don't want to do this and that, so I'm not going to give them the truth. Would you rather them be held in confines of chains of darkness today rather than accept the challenge, grow a little backbone, and stand upon the truth and get in the midst of the conflict? Think about it. We have one weapon of warfare, Ezekiel chapter 9. I hope you can read this from the top. You can't just write it down and go to it later on. But the Bible says, he cried also in mine ear, ears, with a loud voice saying, Cause them that have charge over the city to draw near, even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. Behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. And one man among them was clothed with linen, with a writer's inkhorn by his side. And they went in, and they stood beside the brazen altar. That brazen altar is a picture of judgment. Verse 3. And the glory of God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And to the others he said in mine hand, my hearing, Go ye after them through the city, and smite and let your eye spare, neither have pity. My friend, where is the sighing in our world today? Where are the tears in our society today? Where are the broken hearts for those who are lying in chains of darkness this morning? We live in a world, a land, a village where people are locked in chains of false religion, of the state, and wicked words of sorcerers and witchers and witches and necromancies and warlocks. They're all held in the bondage of indifference, if you will. But we have a sword of the Spirit this morning. We have a sword of the Lord, a living Word of God that allows us to take that challenge to stand up in the midst of the gap between heaven and this world today and present a life-giving gospel to the lost and dying. Sir Gaius is a picture of your neighbors this morning. That deputy is a picture of your co-workers. He's a picture of your family members, of the store clerks that you see every single day. He's not some program that saves someone. 
It's not the hiring of a hall which is going to save. It's not a community program or the shipping of magazines around the world. It's the destroying weapon of the Word of God that will cut the chains asunder, my friend, and set the people held captive free. It's not a new idea either, guys. It's not a new path. It's a slaughtering weapon, and that's what it is, is what we should know it as. But I'm going to tell you something. That weapon right there, that Bible, as living, as perfect, as pure, as purified, as preserved as it is today, is nothing more than dead letter if you don't do something with it. You're not going to set this Bible out and say, go do the work for me. That's not how it works. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27 tells us clearly, How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? Beloved, Old Testament weapons were pictures of the New Testament gospel. Bar-Jesus, the, bar, the Bar-Jesuses of this world have joined forces and launched a vehement attack on the precious Word of God. Understand this, Acts 13 is, the only, is, is only the very edge of Paul's missionary journey. And the Word was attacked from jump, man. The Word was attacked from then in the same manner that it's attacked today. Did you know when Paul, by the time Paul sets foot on Cyprus, there was already people perverting the words of Jesus Christ in manuscripts. By the time that John had completed the perfect book of Revelation that he received on the Isle of Patmos in the last decade of the first century, By the time he received that, there were peoples and perverts in that second century that were writing and removing and correcting and all of this and that. And they were shoving these things in little holes around the world for archaeologists to find and say, oh, look at this. We found older and better manuscripts. This word really doesn't mean that. that Don't we live in a world today, guys? Now, listen, they've been perverting this word of God for the last 2,000 years. It's nothing new. There's been an attack on this perfect word right here, guys, ever since it came off the the printing press in 1611. But I'll tell you this right now. The attack of the Word of God is nothing new in our life today. And we find it every single day. And look at where we are in 2021, or 22. We live in a world today where nomenclature has changed when it doesn't fit someone's narrative. Am I telling the truth or am I not telling the truth? It goes back to it goes back years. It's nothing new. Guys, there's nothing new about this warfare today. A good night, man. You got these uh, these scientists, so-called scientists. When El Nino kicked off about 30 years ago, the El Nino effect kicked off, and all of a sudden we have what? Global warming. The world's gonna get hot, we're all gonna burn to death right? Methane gas from the cattle yards out in Nebraska is ripping a hole in the ozone layer. Oh, really? Is that what it's doing? It's creating greenhouse effects. Guys, they're not intelligent enough to even realize what words they're using is contrary to what they're teaching. You know what a greenhouse is, guys? In a greenhouse, you put your plants, your vegetables. What do you want to grow in a greenhouse? And then when the heat gets too hot, what do you do? You open the roof up, don't you, and let the heat out. Well, that's exactly what happens with the ozone layer. And that was proven when the so-called hole of the ozone layer that was happening over Central uh, uh, America, or not Central America, but middle of the United States of America, 
All of a sudden, the scientists looked a few years later, and the hole has closed itself up. Mind you that. It shifted somewhere else. Man, can you believe the creator of all things had enough sense to make sure that the earth would be resilient enough that mankind could not destroy it if they tried? My goodness, man. There's more icebergs today than there was in 1969. There's more polar bears today than there was in 1962. Oh, but we're going to die, and by 2012, they said, we're all going to be dead. So when global warming didn't happen, what did they do? Well, let's just change the nomenclature. We'll change the name to climate change. Yeah, I believe in climate change. It's called winter. It's called spring. It's called summer. It's called autumn. It changes. You know, our, our record, our absolute record of climate only goes back to 1929. 1917 is the earliest form, but the legitimate records goes back to 1921. Not even 100 years of data. And we're trying to prove that the world's going to be destroyed. The electric company Eon is on the, te- is on the telly going, we've got to do this and we've got to change. We gotta- Guys, listen, I'm all for conserving things. I'm all for using as least amount of electricity and gas as humanly possible. Why? To save money. That's why. Absolutely. But if you think today that you're powerful enough to destroy what God has created, you're fooling yourself. We think too much of ourselves and too little of our children. I read an article this morning that popped across that they're trying to, recre- they're trying to bring back a, a Tasmanian something or another that's been extinct for 100 years. Listen, there's a reason why those things die off, man. Don't bring them back, amen. Those crazy nuts in the United States of America brought back the timber wolf. Have you ever seen the size of a timber wolf? Trust me, you don't want to see the size of a timber wolf. They were extinct for 60 years, and all of a sudden, somehow, they brought them back. Yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to bring back some alpha predator in our world today, don't we? Diamondback, not diamondback, timber, uh, timberland, I think it was, rattlesnakes, one of the most deadliest rattlesnakes and biggest rattlesnakes in the United States of America. It brought them things back. Good night, man. Let some of them die and be gone, amen? You don't need every single one of them. God's got this thing under control, my friend. I know it sounds like I'm ranting today, but I'm making a point this morning. When it doesn't fit their narrative, when the the perverts of this world and the wickedness of this world, when it doesn't fit what they think it should be, and they're never, what do they do? They change the name of it. Well, you know, a, a better name for Lucifer, you know, in Isaiah 14. Let's just call him Daystar. That's a better name. It's more appropriate. Well, I wonder who wants that. O Lucifer, how thou hast fallen from heaven, thou son of the morning. That's what the King James Bible says. He's a created being. He wasn't created until there was a morning. And the evening and the morning were the first day after that Lucifer was created. Oh, let's call him Daystar. You know, I got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. His fifth statement he made, I will be like the most high. Gone. Who's the day star? Can anybody tell me? Our Lord Jesus Christ is the day star in the book of Revelation. I just wonder who would like to be called the Lord Jesus Christ. Who would like to be like the Son of God? Who do you think is behind changing the words? It's the same people behind changing the nomenclature today of when, just to make it fit their narrative. I don't even know where I am in my outline this morning. Guys, I'm just telling you that there is a wicked soul in this world today, a wicked person. 
There are bar Jesuses all over the world, and we better grab a hold of it this morning because the same way that Word of God is attacked 2,000 years ago, it's the same way the Word of God is attacked today. And it's the same way that our words today and our society are being attacked, trying to change the, change the, the truth into a lie to fit their narrative and what benefits them. And mark you this, and you can write this down this morning if you will. As soon as their narrative and as soon as their new little word they come up with doesn't make them money or benefit them anymore, they change it again. 1 Timothy 6.10, love of money is a root of all evil. That's where it all lies. It doesn't say money's evil. It says the love of it. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. The weapons of war perished. If they can take your weapon away, you can lose the battle. Pastor Ellis taught us He taught us to write the Word of God upon the table of our heart. He taught us things 20 and 30 years ago, guys, that I'm seeing. Not that I doubted him, but I thought, surely not in my lifetime it's going to come to pass. In my soul, we're seeing it right now, worse than I can even imagine. By perverting the right ways of the Lord, we find 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. We find that verse being attacked. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, that means mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Beloved, when you remove our weapons, you remove our righteousness. Beloved, typically a man or a woman's lifestyle is revealed by the weapons they utilize. Bar Jesus purposely changed the nature and the use of the Word of God. Exactly how our ecumenical, progressive, Jesus-denying society has done in the so-called houses of God in our world today. The first attack is the Word of God. And what comes afterwards, guys, we're seeing an outright mockery today in churches. The pervert looks the same, but sounds different. Well, I said that 20 years ago. I don't think that's actually completely true today. But there is a perverse that will look the same. They'll be dressed up the way they should be, and they'll sound different. But today you're seeing them, well, they don't know what they're doing. They don't even know what they're dressing like. To pervert the Word of God is to turn it into something so that it can seduce and destroy others. It's exactly what we're seeing today in these not only modern versions, but we're seeing in the ecumenical world. You know what they're seducing for? They're seducing for sales and to destroying souls by darkness, just like Bar-Jesus. But verse 11 comes around. You've got to love verse 11. The Bible says, And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. The mighty hand of the Lord was upon this sorcerer. And although the Lord is merciful, he laid his hand upon uh, his body, but he didn't lay his hand upon his soul. There's no record to show that Jesus Christ, that the Lord condemned Bar-Jesus. Now, there's no record to show that he ever repented and got right and got saved and born again. But for all we know, he could have. That gospel was thick throughout Cyprus. And we know a, couple, a few years later that, that Barnabas comes back to Cyprus. Who knows? Barnabas may have looked that man up and said, Hey, man, let me, I want to talk to you a little bit here about the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas falls off the pages of history after the uh, Acts 15, after the great uh, contradiction that him and Paul had. Barnabas was wrong. He was out of line. But I believe in all my heart God used him in his home country. 
When God judged Cain, He put a mark on him for life. When the blindness came on this man, it was immediate, but it was only for a season. God's judgment on Son Man is instant to prove God knows everything. God's judgment on Son Man is later to prove God never forgets. Bar-Jesus' judgment was immediate, and it was a warning to those who would interfere with the Word of God. Old Testament was an eye for an eye. New Testament is you reap what you sow. Bar-Jesus is blinded. He blinded others with a false and devilish darkness, and God therefore blinded him. It is that simple this morning. So where did his power go? He had held so many in darkness, forcing them to depend on him. No different than, than getting a, someone in a box, confessing their sins, or uh, trusting in man, uh, or man-made works to heaven. I, I don't see how common sense doesn't kick in to understand that a confessional box is nothing but a wicked, vile reproach on the Word of God. There is one man between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Not the man with the dog collar on who's got more perverted sins in his life than most of you do. And I do. Leave that for another time. Guys, listen, now, Bar-Jesus was needing someone to lead him. He had led everyone else in blindness and darkness and depended upon him so that he could reap all the gains and the benefits. Now all the tables had turned. He was in need of someone to lead him around in the midst of dark. He, listen, God's own timing will judge and reveal. And some, it'll happen before our very eyes. Others will be very later. Lastly, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4, 4, For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord, therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. And then shall every man have praise of God. Now, beloved, the mercy of God. I believe in my heart today that it wasn't only the judgment of God that fell upon Bar Jesus, but it was the mercy of God as well. He could adjust his soul. He could have ended his life. He could have robbed him of any opportunity ever to get right with the Lord Jesus Christ. He could have eliminated it right then. And we live in a world today, guys, where 155,000 people die every day. And the wide majority of them die having never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that. I know I went long this morning. We're going to close in him in just a moment. But I want you to think about those that you say are the closest to you, that you love, that you care about. I remember, guys, when I, the day I got saved. I remember the day that I was born again. One of my best friends, Travis Devaney, talked me into going to see Dr. Jim Ellis. On Monday, 31st of December, 1990, or Tuesday, anyway, talked to me into going seeing him. I knew I was leaving two days later, head to Nebraska, transferring schools. On the very day that I got saved, the first person I told was my mom. Went home, I said, Mom, I got saved today, I got to tell you something. She was delighted. The second person I told was my dad. My dad was on a hunting trip up in Mississippi, and he had phoned in off a payphone. I said, Dad, I got something to tell you. I think Mom answered the phone. She goes, your boy's got something to tell. I said, Dad, I got saved today. We were not independent Baptists. We weren't anything, to be honest with you, at the time. Mom and Dad were raised up in the 
Pentecostal type churches, not crazy lunatic charismatic churches, but I'm talking about just assemblies of God and church. My dad got saved in 1962 in assembly, I mean a Church of God revival, about a 95 week revival they had back then. My mom got saved at 12 years old in the assembly of God church. I was raised up as a child in the assembly of God. It's a good church. We went to a church of God when I was about eight years old, and I saw through all the heresy. I saw through all the tongue speaking. I, I saw through all the nonsense. And from that point forward, I said, I'm done. I'm done. And by the grace of God, Travis Devaney talked me into going to see Pastor Ellis. And Pastor Ellis won me to Jesus Christ that day. The very next person I told that I got saved was at that time another best friend of mine by the name of Jeff Dunklin. Now, up until that point, every time I had told someone, all right, the extent were two people thus far, other than Travis and a guy named James Holly that was with us that day, uh, man, they're all excited. And another friend of ours that was with us that day, all three of us got saved. Neil Christensen got saved. We're excited. Mom was excited. Dad was excited. Travis was excited. That night, I told my buddy Jeff Dunklin, and he said, cool, man. Gave me a high five. And that was it. Went on to the next subject we were talking about. And I went, well, that was odd. Does he know what I mean? And then I thought to myself, do I know what I mean? Where do I go from here? I knew then, I said, my life's got to start reflecting Jesus Christ. And it took me years, guys. It took me a few years to get where I needed to be. But once I did, those that I trained with, those that I ran around with, I told them about Jesus Christ. I quit going places and doing things that I shouldn't that would be contrary to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I made a difference and a change in my life so that it would better and best reflect Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean I've been perfect ever since. I've made plenty of mistakes, bad mistakes that still haunt me to this day. But I'll tell you this right now. One thing I did do is I told people that I cared about. Because I realize I've lost too many people in my life. I've seen too many friends be snuffed out of this world in a blink of an eye. Whether ran over by a car, shot by a gun, stabbed in the neck, thrown out of a vehicle, thrown off buildings. All the things that this world brings into a person's life. In the blink of an eye, this life can be lost. Bar Jesus, God had mercy on God could have taken him out right then and there, done and dusted. With what he had done and committed, he deserved it. But God said, I'm going to give you in the physical what you've given these people in the spiritual, but I'm going to have mercy. We don't know the rest of the story. We don't know if he ever gave his life to Christ, but we do know this. His life was given back to him to have the personal responsibility to do so. And beloved, I'm going to leave you with this, and we're done. Today, I want you to think about the person that you say you care about enough, uh, 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 the most. I want you to think about the individual right now that you say you care about, you love. If you don't know for an absolute positive fact they are saved and born again, I'm going to challenge you to get into the conflict. Get into the conflict. Take a stand. And do whatever, by any means necessary, bring the gospel to their life. You don't have to beat them over the head with it. 
but you can open it up like this. Friend, family member, whomever it is, I would be amiss if we spent all this time together having fun, playing games, talking, going places, eating, whatever, if I did not at least let you know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you give your testimony. I was saved as a seven-year-old boy. I was saved as a 15-year-old girl. I was saved as a 31-year-old male, whatever it may be. And I was saved because I put my faith and my trust in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is simply this, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you be willing today to believe on Jesus Christ as your Savior so that all your sins could be forgiven, that you and I can have not only a, a physical relationship, but a spiritual union with one another, knowing that we would spend eternity together. Would you be willing to do that today? That's all you got to say, guys. Do it. Put it in your own words. Something very simple. Because I'm telling you right now, as a young people, you don't realize it as much as Older people, and even much older people. Time is moving quicker than we can imagine. You turn around, the next thing you know, you're gray. You turn around, next thing you know, friends are passing on. You turn around, family members are gone. The days are fleeting, the hours are near. And what is going on in the world today should shake you to the bones to do something, to pick up that weapons of war, Accept the challenge, get into the conflict, and with grace and love, share that precious gospel of Jesus Christ. And those that you say, that's my best friend, that's my son, that's my daughter, that's my cousin, that's my neighbor, that's my co-worker, that's my store clerk, and I just see them every single day. Because, beloved, there's coming a time, if you're here today and you're saved again, you're going to stand at the great white throne judgment, and you're going to see them come across and I wonder if God's going to allow them to say, hey, you, hey, you, BJ, why didn't you, why didn't you tell me about this? Hey, 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 you, Daniel, why didn't you tell, hey, you, Bailey, hey, you, Jan, hey, you, David, hey, you, Kelly, hey, 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 you, Andy, hey, you, Carol, hey, you, Daisy, hey, you, Denise, hey, you, Preston, why didn't you tell me about this? Let that sink in this morning. As you think about what happened to Bar Jesus, there's still grace in his life. Thank God for that. We don't know the end result. But I'm laying the challenge out for you this morning. I'm laying the challenge out for myself this morning to get into the conflict, to pick up the weapon of warfare, to take your precious testimony of eternal salvation and have that small, brief little conversation I had just a moment ago. Step out on faith. And do it. Will you bow your heads this morning? Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. I thank you for the liberty, Father, that I feel that you have poured out upon us this morning, dear God. I love you, and I thank you for who and what you are. And God, I just want to say, forgive me of everywhere that I have failed you. Forgive me for the missed opportunities, Father, the forsaken opportunities of being a witness for the lost in this world of the glorious gospel. And I pray, dear God, that you would bring that thought to memory. Next time that you have made it clear and present before me, that I would share that gospel, dear God, with a lost soul. Lord, I do love you, and I pray that you touch souls today, that they would take on board what has been said this morning, 
I pray that the length of the sermon would not detract from the depth of what you would have us to do. In Jesus Christ's name we ask. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. I hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.